All right, so back to another cutting room floor, this time Genesis 22, this kind of iconic passage in the Old Testament that many people sort of look to either like, whoa, this is inspiring act of faith or like, whoa, this is like really upsetting, mm-hmm. yeah. potentially horrific, totally. like lots of different ways to respond. Yeah. Uh, so today, and we, as we were talking, like sort of dividing it maybe into two chunks, part one mm-hmm. of responding to Genesis 22 is understanding the narrative that leads up to it. Totally. Yeah. And then part two is, so what's actually going on in the text itself? Totally. Yes. Um, and particularly the latter part. Yeah. So why don't we start with part one and like building the foundation, the narrative foundation yeah. that leads to 22. 22, yeah. So Genesis 22, just in narrative context, is the last kind of major story of Abraham. Yep. But kind of getting the whole backstory, Abraham, the story of Abraham actually begins all the way back 10 plus chapters in Genesis chapter 12. Yep. And I think it's just important to get that little backstory. Yeah. This isn't the first time God has interacted yes, with Abraham. Yeah, and I think there's some really crucial events leading up to Genesis 22 that I think we should have in the back of our heads. Namely, starting off with Genesis 12, you know, God comes to Abraham, tells Abraham that you are going to be a blessing to the nations. And Abraham's invited at this point to trust God and to follow him. Yeah. Kind of just kind of basic 101, yeah. setting the stage. There's various points where that promise gets repeated and reaffirmed, yeah. Genesis 15, Genesis 17. But kind of throughout this narrative from Genesis 12 through Genesis, up until Genesis 22, there is a variety of stories where Abraham, even though he has these great moments of faith, these great encounters with God, has these horrendous moments of failure. Yeah. Um, And this is where I think it's important to kind of get some of this backstory where you have the instance where in Genesis 16, he kind of, him and Sarah take things into their own hands. Mm -hmm. They have Ishmael kind of not trusting that God will provide the son whom God promised. And then later on, the chapter right before Genesis 22, so Genesis 21, you more or less could say, even though the language technically isn't the same, Abraham more or less is sacrificing his son Isaac, or Ishmael, sorry, Ishmael to the wilderness, where he essentially banishes Ishmael, his son. And then God needs to actually intervene intervene and rescue. And rescue Ishmael and his his mom, uh, Hagar. And it, it creates one of many instances or shows one of many instances where Abraham, you're kind of wondering, well, if God's going to work through and partner with this Abraham guy to be a blessing to the nations, the point as you get to Genesis 22 or right before Genesis 22 is that Abraham is not the most upstanding man, you know, that God could choose. There's a lot of moral problems, a lot of moral, you know, failures at this point, which kind of leads up to a little bit of Genesis 22 itself, where the first line says in Genesis 22 verse 1 that, again, we're being told as readers a narrative detail where it says in 22 verse 1 that God is testing Abraham. Yeah, so the whole frame leading up to 22 is this sort of relational context where Abraham has a couple highlights, uh, but really it's like, man, a lot of promises of God and a lot of mess ups. Totally, yeah. Uh, And then it starts 22 with this idea of testing. Yeah. Tease that out a little bit. Yeah. So this word testing, that I mean, this is a whole kind of thing in itself, which I think is really important for us to wrestle with. And this language that we're given in Genesis 22, verse 1, again, God is testing Abraham. And we might think, okay, so why would God do that? Like what benefit, what kind of God would test someone like Abraham? And I think just a few observations to point out is, it, is to also remember Jesus himself was tested. Yeah. And so we read in, in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 in particular, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested or 
tempted. Yeah. And this is where it gets a little bit interesting. Yeah. There's some translation. Translation ambiguity there, yeah. there. So the in our English Bibles, in particular in the New Testament, the, the word for test and the word for tempt or temptation is the same original word in the original language. And yeah. so context usually helps determine yeah. you know, which one we're looking at. But I think the point is that there is a little bit of, I don't know if overlap's too strong of a word, but there is some relationship, sure. if you will, between testing and temptation. Yeah, but in, even in chapter four with Jesus's testing in the wilderness, he is led by the spirit. Led by the spirit, yeah. And right? so God is bringing him to a place where something will be revealed. Yes, exactly. And I think a, a lot of this language of testing in particular is this opportunity to reveal and an opportunity for there to be deeper growth in relationship, in okay. particular with the Abraham story. Yep. Um, this kind of actually echoes all the way a little bit back to the Garden of Eden hmm. in Genesis 1 yeah, through yeah. 3. Yeah, God did not have to put the tree of the knowledge of good and exactly. evil and a fruit that they could or could not eat. Exactly, yeah. So yeah. even though the language or the word test is not used in yeah. Genesis 1 through 3, the concept, I think, is abundantly clear. Yeah, it's good. Where the humans are given a choice, mm -hmm. and will they more or less pass the test yeah. of choosing God's wisdom versus their own yeah. wisdom? And this sort of is even developed in Genesis with this, are, will they walk mm. with God, yeah. or will they walk in their own way? Will totally. they live as image bearers of God or sort of bear their own image in, in the world? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so in particular with the Abraham story, again, kind of, thinking back to some of that backstory we talked about, there is this level of as God who is a relational God, a relational yeah. being who wants to partner with humans to yeah. bring about his purposes yeah. in the Which world. Which is distinct from Genesis 1 through God is trying to partner yes. with humans. Through the whole, Abraham's whole a hard guy to partner with. Totally, at this yeah. Point. And so there's this level of, okay, as God is interacting with Abraham, there is this question more or less of what kind of human partner is Abraham going to be? And so Genesis 22 verse 1 kind of sets the stage for us that this is more or less why I think this narrative is happening, mm. where God is inviting Abraham through this test into a deeper opportunity for growth and relational trust mm. um, with, with him. Yeah, that's good. Um, and I think this is important to get because I think the contrary, the, the other way to, to run with this, which I think would not be faithful to the portrait of God, is to then just say, okay, God's testing people. He's commanding child sacrifice. This God is sadistic. Yeah. You know, this God is not worth worshiping or following. Now yeah. we'll address the child sacrifice thing in a moment here, but just kind of to camp on getting our brains wrapped around the narrative flow yeah, up helpful. until Genesis 22 and kind of reorienting us around this concept of testing okay. as this opportunity for growth yeah. and deeper relationship. So then as we get into 22, yeah. what stands out? Yeah. So there's a few things that I kind of want to talk about, especially with Kind of, again, this is going to echo a little bit back to some of the backstory, but highlight one of the key things, at least in my mind, that's really important is this concept of blessing. Hmm. So this concept of blessing goes all the way back again to Genesis 12. Yep. God gives Abraham the promise through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Now, this idea of blessing actually comes up kind of throughout the Abraham narrative. And we're kind of wondering as we're reading the Abraham narrative, what does it actually mean hmm. for Abraham to be a blessing to the nations? Sure. And so there is a connection to Genesis 22, but we got to first take a little pit stop at Genesis 18. Okay. Where you talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Abraham intercedes on behalf of the nations, if you will, yeah. and has this moment of prayerful intercession and compassion for other people. Yeah. And as you read Genesis 18, we're given this language of blessing again, that this is Abraham demonstrating that he is actually going to be a blessing to the nations. So if we're asking this question, okay, what does it mean for Abraham to be a blessing to the nations? One of the ways... The Abraham story answers that question is that Abraham is going to be one who prayerfully intercedes on mm. behalf of other people. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot we can glean from that yeah. in our own lives. Now, building off of that, connecting it to Genesis 22 in particular, this language of blessing pops up again after Abraham 
is told to actually stop from actually taking the dagger and actually putting it in his son Isaac. Mm-hmm. God's t- God stops him, and then twenty two seventeen, the language of blessing pops up again. Surely I will bless you, multiply your offsprings. Verse eighteen, it goes on. Your offspring shall to all the nations of the earth be a blessing. And so there's this again, this other the portrait of what does it mean for Abraham to be a blessing gets filled in a little bit more with Genesis twenty two. Where if Genesis 18, the answer to what does it mean for Abraham to be a blessing, if the answer was prayerful intercession and compassion for other people, Genesis 22 fills in that portrait in answering that question of what does it mean to be a blessing hmm. by answering it in this way of, well, it requires radical trust in the one true God. Yeah. That regardless of what happens, that Abraham is going to trust that God will provide, that's the language used yeah. in Genesis 22, and that God is going to be the one to step yeah. in and intervene. So um, if there's like two prongs to it, you're saying one prong is faithful intercession. The other one is radical trust. Tr- trust, yeah. But those two, when they come together, they allow someone, Abraham in particular, to be a blessing in the blessing, world. Blessing, yeah. And I think one of the key contributions of Genesis 22, kind of despite perhaps people's hangups with the child sacrifice stuff and God testing, is to fill in this portrait of what does it mean for Abraham to That's be a good. blessing to the nations. That's good. Um, now, so that's kind of big picture, a little yeah. bit of background stuff. What about the child sacrifice yeah. stuff? And what about what's actually going on yeah. in the yeah. text? Thanks for all those details. <laughs> Tell me what I really want, really to, want know. to know. Right. Yeah. So this is kind of getting into maybe the second half of yeah, yeah. what that's we good. were, we were going to talk about. So what about child sacrifice? I think it's obvious, but it needs to be stated. Child sacrifice is abominable. Yeah. It is. And it's condemned throughout, throughout the scripture because there are local tribes, yes. gods, cultures that actually require. Yeah child sacrifice. Yes. And the Bible's written with these other cultures in mind. Totally. Yes. And this is a couple key things on this is that for those interested, I have a a link to a whole bunch of different verses where God is condemning child sacrifice, even getting Israel judged, if you will, because they're following these practices. Because they're actually getting pulled in by the other cultures to do what they do, which involves child sacrifice. Totally. And God is like, you cannot you do You cannot that. do this, yeah. And so this kind of comes back to then Genesis 22. Why is God, language of testing, asking, commanding, yeah. whatever we want to use, child sacrifice is at least implicitly yeah. like there. Why is this happening? I think one thing to just, it's an obvious point again to notice, is that Genesis 22, God actually, again, it's obvious, he stops Abraham from following through with this. Yeah, good. And we might, or like, okay, phew. Yeah. You know, we experience relief. Yes. But in some ways, that's like a huge deal. Totally. Yeah. In that culture. In that culture. Because so many people didn't, and actually, God's required yes. people to follow through. Totally. And so this kind of becomes a way of looking at Genesis 22 as like this polemical kind of, kind of pointing at, you know, comparing and contrasting Yahweh, the God of Israel, to the other nations and their God, saying, yeah. our God actually is not requiring child sacrifice, He is providing instead yeah. where your gods are actually commanding this yeah. abominable practice. And so I think the compare and contrast between different cultures yeah. in the time of Israel is super important. Um, that kind of gets a little bit at some of the child sacrifice yeah. stuff. Now in particular, Maybe, let me just summarize. Oh yeah, go summarize. For sometimes, sometimes we read Genesis 22 and the child sacrifice and we almost feel like God is condoning it. When in fact, if we take it out of our context and put it into theirs, this is actually a radical story mm-hmm. of God providing Yeah. Uh, and intervening yes. in child sacrifice. Totally, yes, yeah. And that's huge to get. And it yeah. might seem obvious to a certain degree, but then yeah. reading Genesis 22, like the rest of Scripture in its ancient context, yeah. I think we get, there's some yeah. payoff to that. I think also the fact that God is the one who gave Isaac. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
right? Totally. Like the infertility narrative yes. leading to him providing so that he can bless whatever, all that stuff. Like also shins a little shape that like God is invested yes. oh, in yeah. Isaac. Totally. Yeah. Because it's going to be through Abraham and yeah. through his seed, Isaac. Yeah. And then that you know, continues on through the book of yeah. Genesis. It's not like he's like, okay, who's next? Yeah. Totally. It's like, no, he knows Abraham and he knows Isaac. Yes. Totally. Yeah. Which then also leads to, okay, some key details in the text yeah. that I think are really revealing as to kind of shedding light on what's actually happening yeah. in this passage. I think again, a little bit of prior experience with Abraham, Genesis 18, verse 25, Abraham has already stated, will not the judge of the earth do what is just? Mm -hmm. So Abraham has already yeah. shown himself to be one who believes at least at a certain level yeah. that Yahweh, the God of Israel is going to do the right yeah. thing. And he intercedes and then God actually rescues yes. Lot, Lot and, his, and family, his family who presumably are the righteous people out of Sodom before he destroys it. Totally. So there's even sees him not just pray on behalf, yeah. but also watches God respond. Totally. And so Abraham is an eyewitness to yeah. the, the the justice in, in the best yeah. sense of that word of God. Yeah. Um, but then specifically in Genesis 22, there's a number of key interesting details where it seems like Abraham doesn't actually believe Isaac is going to die. Totally. It seems like before even Abraham raises that dagger, as they're even journeying up to Mount Moriah, Abraham already knows in the back of his head that Isaac's going to come back. He's not going to die. And yeah. so in particular, verse, verse 5 of Genesis 22, Abraham says to his servant, stay here with our donkey. I and the boy will go up to worship and we will come back to you. Yeah. So he's assuming that they're both going to come back. They're both going to come back. Yeah. And then in verse 8 of 22, when Isaac is kind of, I, you know, can only imagine wondering like where yeah. in the world what the sacrifice, the is what's happening, on? you know, right? God or Abraham responds back to Isaac as Isaac asks, where's the sacrifice going to come? 22 verse eight, Abraham says the, the Lord himself will provide. Yeah. And so already on you're, Mount Moriah, on Mount Moriah the boy, which is about provision. Totally. Yes. Yeah. And so even thinking about where this is taking place, yeah. um, Mount Moriah, we're given the detail early on in the narrative of Genesis 22 only appears one other time in the old Testament in the book of Chronicles and Mount Moriah, we find out is where the temple in Jerusalem is actually built. And then you keep kind of following the, the geographical breadcrumbs, if you will, Calvary where Jesus is crucified ends up being in more or less that exact same spot. Hmm. So again, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but this is foreshadowing hmm. something much larger that what, what this story is getting at. Yeah. Um, and then even in particular, kind of building off of this idea of Abraham didn't actually think Isaac was going to die. The author of the book of Hebrews kind of gives some commentary on this passage, Hebrews 11, verse 19, and says that Abraham reasoned or believed that God could even raise the dead and that he would receive Isaac back from death. Yeah. So according to the author of the Hebrews, Abraham believed even if Isaac was going to die, God was going to raise him back up yeah. um, again, which is you know interesting in and of itself. Now, there's another layer to this that will lead us into the person of Jesus, but it's interesting that some people think that what's happening in Genesis 22 is an example that we have all throughout Scripture of God asking his leaders, his prophets, <clears throat> to do things that symbolize or more or less depict yeah, something or represent something else that's happening. So, for example, in Hosea chapter 1, God asked the prophet Hosea to marry a prostitute to more or less kind of demonstrate or show um, what it means for God to be faithful um, to... Israel who is apostate or in Ezekiel chapter four, Ezekiel is told to lay on his side for four years to kind of symbolize the siege of Jerusalem. So some people think what's happening here in Genesis 22, God is asking Abraham to sacrifice Isaac because it's actually pointing to something much yeah. larger and it's pointing to something more or less that depicts the character of God and shows what God is doing in the world and leading to something 
future and yeah. what I would say messianic, yeah. Christ-like. And this gets into then, okay, Genesis 22 is sort of like this lock, if you will. Hmm. And I think Jesus is kind of the key that kind of unlocks what Genesis 22 um, is really all about because the parallels between Isaac and Abraham and Genesis 22 and Jesus are more or less, you know, kind of off the charts, mm -hmm. if you will. And so kind of just for example, both Isaac and Jesus are called beloved sons who have been these long awaited, you know, sons that come from this miraculous sort of birth or okay. circumstance. Um, both sons carry wood. Um, that is to be an instrument of their death. In both cases, the father leads the son and the son obediently follows um, towards death. And in both cases, God provides the sacrifice. And Abraham explicitly says that this sacrifice in verse 8 will be a lamb. And you go into the New Testament. Yeah. John the Baptist sees Jesus coming to the Jordan River and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. Paul, when he's writing about the love of God and what Christ has done for us, he talks about in, in Romans chapter 8, that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, will he not graciously give us all things? And that language of did not spare his own son more or less mirrors the language that God says to yeah. Abraham, you have not withheld, withheld. your only yeah. son. It's good. So there's a lot of parallels between Abraham, Isaac, Genesis 22, and the person of Jesus, which gets back to a little bit of what I was highlighting a little bit of where this narrative is taking place on Mount Moriah. There's all mm. these different hints from the geography to the language to kind of the narrative details in the story, the father-son relationship, yeah. that this is foreshadowing and pointing towards the sacrifice that we ultimately all need as humanity. Mm. And that's the sacrifice, you know, of Jesus and yeah. that demonstrating the son's love and the father's love yeah. for humanity um, is just profound when we begin to really meditate yeah. and think about you know, this, this story. Yeah. So when we look at Genesis 22, what you're telling us is we need to pay attention both to the narrative leading up to it. Mm -hmm. We need to pay attention to the fact this is a test and Abraham has kind of messed up a lot. Yeah. Uh, and then also we need to pay attention to maybe even how this points forward. Yeah. That maybe it doesn't exist just in, on its own yeah. in this story of Genesis, but really points to something profound that God the Father will do yes. through God the Son. Yes. And so this actually becomes almost like a prototype yeah. of a future reality. Totally, yeah. That, that Abraham Jesus... doesn't even know he's enacting, yeah. but becomes powerful once it's enacted. And then we can look back and say, holy cow, yeah. look at this. Totally. Baked into the early chapters of Genesis yeah. to the first father yeah. of the nation of Israel and yeah. the people of God. Totally. Yeah, it's a powerful story. It's worth a lot of reflection and, and thinking yeah. about and chewing on. So. Thanks, man. Yeah. So good. Cool.